0: chapter 5. While you're turning there with me, may I just say what a blessing it was to sing this morning the truth of God's word, amen, in all of those songs. I was so encouraged to sitting there listening. If that's all we did today, it would have been such a blessing. But we have the opportunity to look more into God's word. James chapter 5 is our text, beginning in verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is powerful and effective to change lives. Lord, this morning, may we have ears to hear the word of God. May it be applied deep down into our lives. And may you be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the theme of this morning's sermon, if you haven't already guessed, is enduring suffering while we wait for the Lord patiently. Enduring suffering, waiting patiently for the Lord's return. So... For those of you who haven't been coming here very long, we have been going through the book of James uh, about every other month. Uh, Jason and I have been doing this together while Travis is working through the book of Matthew. So it's been a while since we've looked at the book of James. So I want to give you just a little brief introduction or synopsis of the book before we look at the verses in more detail. So we call that the The theme of the book of James, if you will, is that we should walk the talk, if you will, of being a Christian. We should be doers of the word of God and not hearers only. James gives the church very practical advice on what it looks like to be holy and wise. The tone and structure of the book of James is very much like the Old Testament wisdom literature Recall that James started off his letter in chapter 1 by telling the church to count it all joy when they faced trials. He says that the trials that we face have come to test our faith and that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and that the steadfastness will essentially make us better people. He uses the word complete and perfect. The steadfastness will make a Christian a better Christian, if you will. And now we get to chapter 5. James brings up this topic once again of trials. And he introduces a new uh, spin on the trials of being patient during your trials. You may have heard of the old saying, never pray for patience. The reason, of course, being the only way you can demonstrate patience is if you're going through some kind of hardship and some kind of trial. So I think the tricky thing here is for us as Christians to, to understand the logic behind why James would say, essentially, that going through hardships is a blessing. And that we could, should consider it as an opportunity to be joyful. So let's look at these verses together together. And I wanna give you four main points to take away from today's sermon. Four points on how to practice biblical patience. And here's the four points. Number one, anticipate the Lord's return. Number two, expect judgment when he returns. Number three, follow godly examples of patience. And number four, Trust there is a purpose for suffering. All right, number one, anticipate the Lord's return. James says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. First, we need to perhaps understand a little better what this word patience means in the Bible. And the Greek New Testament word used here is patience. Macrothermio. Macrothermio. macro this is where we get our words for, for two English words, macro and thermos, okay? Macro, as opposed to micro, means large, or in this case, long. And thermos, that's what we put our coffee in, right? Yeah. It, it's meant to keep a temperature steady, right? So very literally, the Greek here is saying that to be patient is to have long temper. And James is telling the church that they should be patient and long-tempered, even though they're being persecuted, because the Lord is coming back, and he tells them to be patient until he returns. Is there an echo out there or just up here? Hey, Manny, could you turn it back down a little bit? Pardon the technical difficulty. So you got that, right? Patience, macro, thermo, long-tempered. Now, why is this important? In the first century, the church was suffering very harsh persecution, as we know, and one of the things that James says in the, in the beginning of his book is that he says, don't show favoritism to the rich, right, over the poor. Why is that important? Because not only is it wrong to do, James reminds them that it was the rich that were oppressing the church. The rich were dragging them into courts even, and even blaspheming the name of the Lord. So, in chapter 5, the, the beginning of chapter 5, which we studied the last time we were in, the, in, the, in James, James condemns the rich for that behavior. He, he says that it, they fraudulently withhold the wages of, of the laborers, and that while they all the while live in luxury and self indulgence and condemn and murder the righteous person. And then he says something very, very important to note. If you have your Bibles, Glance back up in chapter five to verse six real quick. James says this, speaking of the rich, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You see that? He does not resist you. Does that statement remind you of something that someone else once said? The Lord Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5 of Matthew said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. If one slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Jesus said, you have heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So the Christians were following Jesus' command to not resist an evil person and to love their enemies, not just their neighbors. And so James realizes the difficulty, right, that this would put believers in. And that's why he tells them to be patient and wait. For what? For the Lord's return. What's going to happen when the Lord returns? He's going to make all things right. He's going to repay. They don't have to do it. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 19. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, But leave room for God's wrath, for as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So James essentially is saying, be patient, don't resist when evil people persecute you. Why? Because that's God's business to take care of. And he will take care of it when he comes. We'll talk a little bit more about that topic of judgment in just a little bit. But for now, let's move on in reading of the Going through the verses, James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And he uses this analogy. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James uses this analogy of the farmer who works very, very hard. Farmers are some of the hardest workers there are. They till the land, they prepare the land, they plant the seed, and then what? They wait, especially in those days, there was no irrigation, they had to wait for the Lord. The Lord was the one who brought the early and the late rains. And so James is saying, just like the farmer waits for the rains, we should wait for the precious fruit of what? The Lord's return. The Lord's return and our bodily resurrection is the blessed hope of the church. Nearly 10% of all the verses in the New Testament reference the Lord's return. And when he comes, he's going to make all things right. Let's listen to just a couple of verses about the Lord's return. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says... But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then in 1 John 3, we read, When he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. So James tells us to establish our hearts. He uses that phrase, establish our hearts in anticipation of the Lord's return. This means we're supposed to fix our hope on the Lord's return. Just in a similar way that Jesus the Bible says, set his face like a flint and headed toward Jerusalem, towards his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. We as believers need to set our face, establish our heart, and on, the, on the promise of Christ's return. And when we do this, the Bible says we purify ourselves when we set our hopes on the Christ's return. There needs to be a sense of urgency about establishing our hearts because James says the Lord's return is at hand and we see it throughout the scriptures. He could come at any day. Jesus could come at any moment. And he said when he does come, it'll be like a thief in the night. It'll be unexpected to some, but we should be expecting it. Only the Father knows the day or the hour. It was not for the first century church to know the day or the hour, and it's not for us to know it either. But we should be expecting it to happen. We should be longing for the Lord's return. Even as John said to conclude his revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen. So we need to be expecting the Lord's return, anticipating the Lord's return. The second thing that we do to prepare, to Practice biblical patience. Expect that when Jesus comes, Christ will bring judgment. Expect judgment when Christ returns. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, who is he talking to in this verse? Brothers. Brothers. He's talking to the church. So it's important for us as believers to know that when Christ returns, not only is he going to judge the world, he's going to judge us. This judgment won't be unto hell because we know that for those that are in Christ, there's now no condemnation, right? Jesus has taken our sins away and God won't remember them, but there will be a judgment of our actions of our deeds we can see this in a couple of scriptures second corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 paul says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad and in hebrews chapter 10 Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So James is reminding us here that we're going to be judged by what we say and what we do. The Bible says that we're going to give an account for every idle word. So we need to be careful, brothers and sisters, to what? To guard our lips. And even what's more important than that, we've got to guard our hearts. The attitude of our hearts. Because what did the Lord say? He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's really a heart matter that we have to pay attention to. You know, it's, how easy is it, if we're honest, to, be, to have a bad attitude when things aren't going our way? Or when we're mad at our brother or our sister? It's easy to grumble. This word grumble that James uses here. What does it mean? It means really a, to murmur. It's not necessarily even a, a debate where you say words wrong. It's like more of a, a murmur or underneath your breath, ugh, oh, that, that person. That's the kind of grumbling that James says we don't want to do. We want to have an attitude of gratitude, if you will when we're tempted to be angry with one another for something that we don't agree with, instead we need to be long-tempered with one another, right? Patient with one another. Slow to anger, as James says, because anger doesn't bring about the righteous purpose of God. I want to just be careful to, to note that when Jesus comes again, it's not like God is looking to judge even the church. It's not like God's looking to catch us in every little mistake. There's going to be reward when Jesus comes. It says that we're going to be recompensed for everything, good and bad. You know, the Bible tells, Jesus told us that even if, if we give a drink of cold water to a little one, we will be rewarded for that. The Bible says that love is patient and love is kind. So the next time you're tempted to lose your patience with a brother or sister, remember that it was the Lord's kindness towards you that led you to repentance, right, and thus salvation. So number three, follow godly examples of patience. James says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider them blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness or the patience of Job. So let's take just a minute and kind of look at some of the examples from the Old Testament here. Okay? Sound good? Because I think it instructive for us. James says we should follow these examples. Take, for example, Noah. Noah waited patiently for God for 120 years after God said, there's gonna be a flood, Noah. I want you to build an ark. 120 years. And then, when Noah finished the ark and he and his family went into the ark, they waited in the ark with all those animals for seven days before any rain fell. That's patient endurance. Habakkuk was a prophet of old that learned patience while pleading for deliverance for, for, for the nation. Listen to these verses of how the book of Habakkuk starts and then how it ends. Habakkuk 1 verse 2 says, O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and will you not hear or cry violence And you will not save. And then in the course of meeting with the Lord, this is how Habakkuk finishes up in chapter 3. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And then there's Job. James says, you've heard of the patience or the steadfastness of Job. Probably almost everybody in the world has heard about the story of Job, right? Who was Job? Job was a man that was declared by God as a righteous man. And then what happens in the story is Satan comes before the Lord and he accuses Job of only being good and righteous. Why? Because God had blessed him, right? So God allows Satan to afflict Job severely. And it's important to note that Job hadn't done anything wrong. Job didn't sin. He was being tested for his faith, right? So James says that Job was patient and Job was steadfast. How was he patient? How was he steadfast? Well, if you read the story, you'll see he wasn't perfect. He didn't, he didn't even act perfectly through his trial. At one point, Job says, I wished I had never been born alive. This was, it was horrible suffering, and we all would have responded in kind, I think. Probably much, much worse. I know I would have. But the reason Job is noted as being an example of patience and suffer and, and steadfastness is because, as he said in verse chapter 13 of the book, though he slay me, though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. So through all the trials of Job, he never lost his hope and trust in Jesus, in, in God. And he learned that faithfulness and awesomeness of God through his trials. Another great uh, text from the scriptures on faith and steadfastness comes from Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the Hall of Faith. So let me just read to you what Hebrews says about these saints who endured through faith. Hebrews 11. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire by the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These were all incredible, incredible examples, were they not, of godly patience under trial. And if you know those any of those stories, you know they weren't perfect. But the one thing that they all had in common, they never gave up their hope and their trust in the Lord. And the ultimate example for us to follow in patience is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews 12 goes on to say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, The Bible tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And though he never sinned, he patiently endured the most horrific trial ever known to man, when he laid down his life to save his people from sin and eternal death. Last point on obedience. Four, trust that there is a purpose. Your suffering. Trust that there is a purpose for your suffering. And James says, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. God always has a purpose. Nothing's random. What do we know? How do we know this? From verses like Romans 8 28 that says, All things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So, patience is more than just endurance. There's a purpose behind it. I like this example that Oswald Chambers gave in one of his devotions that I read the other day. He said, picture a bow and an arrow. We are like the arrow in the bow. And the Lord is stretching the bow, and we know not where he's going to fling that arrow. But God has a purpose for it. He has a target somewhere. And even though we're being stretched like that arrow to the point sometimes where we say we can't take it anymore, God continues to stretch that arrow until the target's in sight and he lets it fly because he has a purpose for our suffering. Just as Job had, there was a purpose in Job's trials. He didn't understand what they were, but there was a purpose. We have to sometimes remember that there's, we have to put suffering in its proper context. Does that make sense? If we don't, we'll miss the purpose and we'll be likely to despair. Do you remember the story of the disciples who were on the road after Jesus had raised from the dead, right? And they're walking along the road, and Jesus is right there with them. And it resurrected Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And they make this statement to Jesus, lamenting. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things had happened. And Jesus had said he was going to rise on the third day. Everything that those disciples said was true, but they were drawing the wrong conclusion from them. Why? Because they didn't recognize that the Lord was right there in front of them. He had risen from the dead. He had redeemed Israel. They just didn't see it. It's the same with our suffering and being patient in the suffering. God has a purpose for it. I think we need, when we're going through trials, we need to have a little bit of a sense of abandonment. i use that word. A sense of abandonment to just let go and to trust God. Oswald Chambers wrote this in a a devotion that he he titled Gracious Uncertainty. I want to read just a couple of snippets from that, that devotion. He writes... Our natural inclination is to be so precise, right? Trying always to forecast accurately what will happen next. And we look upon uncertainty as a bad thing. The spiritual life is the life of a child. We are uncertain of God. We are uncertain, we're not of God, but we're uncertain of what he's going to do next. Does that make sense? We're not uncertain of God, but we don't know what he's going to do next. We don't know where the road's going to turn, but we know God's in control. And then Oswald says this, we need to leave everything to Jesus and it will be gloriously and graciously uncertain how he will come, but you can be certain that he will come. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we... We read this as we read earlier today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. And then he says this, In this, in that, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has a purpose for our trials. God has a purpose for our sufferings and it's to bring about praise, glory, and honor at his revealing when he comes again. So lastly under this point, the Lord is ultimately compassionate, James says, and merciful. The Lord will one day bring an end to all of our suffering. In Psalm 37 as we read, was read earlier today before, during the worship service for the evil doers shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while this was the psalm written centuries before Christ. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And then I love this section from Revelation chapter 21. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Amen. So in closing this morning, what trials are you going through? What trials are you in need of long-tempered patients? Could be family matters, friends, work, health, emotional. There's four things that we have from this morning's sermon to help us be long-tempered. Number one, anticipate the Lord's return. Keep your eyes on Christ, and he is returning very soon. Expect that there will be judgment when the Lord returns. He will judge the earth, and he will bring vindication and reward. Follow these godly examples that we have in the scriptures. Consider all those saints who have gone before us and how they persevered. And lastly, trust that God has a purpose for suffering. He means to strengthen you, and to ultimately bless you. And remember that God will bring an end to suffering when Christ returns. Our only opportunity to practice patience, brothers and sisters, is now. When Christ comes again, he's gonna make every wrong right. He's gonna wipe away the tears from our eyes, and we will have no no more need for patience. Now is the time, though, we have to persevere. Now is the time to be patient and wait for the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you said your son Jesus would never leave us. Jesus, you said you would never leave us or forsake us. And that you would be with us to the very end of the earth. The very end of the age, Lord, and that by your power and by your spirit, we will be overcomers. Not that we have the strength within us, but that you that called us the author and finisher, perfecter of our faith, will see it through. Lord, give us courage this morning. Help us to be long-tempered with one another. Help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on the return of Christ. He is our hope. He is our salvation. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to.